On this week's episode, we sling those webs with Spider-Man Homecoming. Can Spider-Man be too funny? Why did Karen jump to instant kill mode so quick? And if Uncle Ben falls and no one's around to hear it, whose responsibility was that? Find out now you're listening to 24 Flames Per Second. September, the beginning of October, everyone. This is 24 Flames Per Second, the podcast that roasts the films we love the most. And I'm your host, as always, Robert Spiewak Bohorkas, and welcome to October. Sorry if you came here expecting a horror movie episode. We've got four weeks of that coming up starting next week. But first, tis the season for spiders. And along with those spiders, uh, we're talking about Spider-Man Homecoming this week, everybody. Uh, with Venom coming out this weekend, the Spider-Man game on PlayStation just came out. And it's every, it's all everyone, anyone cares about. It's freaking spiders. We all love Halloween. <laughs> so, um, yeah, everybody, welcome to the show. Uh, right off the top, I don't think I have anything to plug necessarily. Maybe. No. And I don't. Um, More party fish We'll talk stuff. about it later. Nothing, there's nothing new that right. we can't plug later. Um, and so, yeah, everybody, welcome to the show. Um, we're very excited to talk about <coughs> Spider-Man Homecoming. And so, that all being said, across the table for me this week, the Ned to my Peter, Quasi Phillips. How's it going? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing really good. Yeah, I saw you fuck, fuck with the <laughs> levels because I got really loud for a second. <laughs> Screaming. <laughs> yeah, man. Welcome. Thank you. Home. Welcome to my home. Um, Everyone was yeah. here before me. Yeah. <laughs> how, uh, how are you doing? Did you watch the movie this week? Uh, I watched it pretty recently, okay. so I'm. I think I'm good. But I've watched this movie a few times, and I think mm-hmm. I the Marvel movies. I think I can keep in my head a little bit more than most okay. other ones. So, but uh, and also Spider Man's my favorite superhero. So, oh, you well, know, there you go. I've latched on to all of the Spider Mans that have come out. Almost like you've got little and little webs shoot out from every single fur, every single one of them. Hairs on your fingers. from Toby to Andrew and now uh, Tom. <laughs> Toby to Andrew. Yeah. Was that the sequel from uh, from Justin to Kelly? <laughs> when Toby met Andrew, I think yeah. that was the actual <laughs> the modern day romance movie we all want to see. Yeah. All right. Well, um, yeah, let's keep going and get into everybody else. Um, Yeah, we'll start with the roasting panel this week uh, with uh, actor and producer. Find her and her theater production on social media at Hello Earth Productions. Pepper Hambrick. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. Yeah, it's good. Good to have you here. Um, And next to her, uh, writer, Godzilla expert, um, his name's Ian Coleman. That's me, <laughs> Robert Spiewak. How's it going? Do you have social going media? Uh, I'll, uh, I have a Facebook. He's a, yeah, Facebook. Oh, yeah. We probably shouldn't say. You want a bunch of friend requests flooding in? Yeah. You do? All my, all my, all my fans. Oh, all that's strange. Them. I'll just yeah. tell. We'll tell all your students. His name's yeah. Ian Coleman. <laughs> they know. But uh, but yeah, it's good to have you here. Um, yeah, and across the table from them on the defense this week, film and political activist, find her on social media, Mandy, Mandy, sorry, <laughs> and Maddie Vonhoff. You got Nicholas Maddie, Cage on the brain. Maddie huh? Vonhoff. <laughs> yeah. Hey, everyone. Hello, how are you? I'm good. I have been playing the new Spider-Man on PlayStation, and I've never felt more like Spider-Man mm. in my entire life, so I feel very, very prepped and ready. That's the best. Yeah. Um, actually, since you're here... Do you want to plug Geek Girl Con? Yes. Before that was, I was gonna. That was something I would have plugged, but then I decided to wait, so that you could do because you'll be there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Twenty Four Flames is going to be at Geek Girl Con the last weekend of October. Have we been on a panel of any kind before? Nope. So I think this is our first convention yeah. appearance. Um, so you can buy tickets online at geekgirlcon.com. They're like a screaming deal. It's super cheap. You can come see our panel, which has a time. It is Sunday at 3 p.m. 
Uh, I will be on it, Quis will be on it, and Casey will be on it as well. So you'll meet lots of people from the 24 Flames family. It's a great uh, little con, and it'll be fun to see us. And there's going to be four other podcasts with us as well. So if you're interested in us, um, start. you can subscribe to some other ones as well. So we'd love to see you there. If you do come, come say hello if you're a listener. I'll be there too, but apparently not on that panel. Apparently not. <laughs> I'm not even on the panel. <laughs> I've got my own panel. Yeah. <laughs> about nerdy theater. Oh, nice. Cool. Yeah. When when is when is it? When is you is your Saturday or Sunday? That is Saturday at eleven thirty. Yes. Everyone go. Perfect. Saturday so we'll at eleven. We'll be talking about yeah. how how taking 30. sci-fi and changing up the people portraying it on stage uh, affects the character and the stories and stuff like that. Cool. So. That's awesome. Right on. I didn't I didn't know about that. Um, so yeah, cool, great. So Maddie, back to the show. You are defending, and the first mm-hmm. thing you get to do when you're defending is do movie in a minute. Um, I feel like I've so rarely done this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Pacific Rim, and that's it. Yeah. Are you know Pacific Rim? Yeah, because at some point I was just like Jaeger fights, Jaeger fights, punching monsters in the face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It ends. <laughs> like, that's a good summation. <laughs> yeah, like, it ends. What more do you want? <laughs> Um, but, 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 it, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, I'm taking this. These are your notes. Yeah, <laughs> mine now. So I, you don't yeah, you've, you've been really aggressive. Oh, oh yeah. With doing that. Just get ready. Show me, yeah. If you're coming on the podcast, get ready for that. Mm-hmm. I think uh, on the Almost Famous episode, I like took Brian's and threw them across the room. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get these anymore. Um, but, uh, but yeah, without notes, give us the full plot synopsis of Spider-Man Homecoming. All Spoilers right. and all. Yep. I'll give you a three count and then you're off. Yep. In three Two, one, go. So after the Battle of New York, Adrian Toomes, otherwise known as Vulture, has a contract. He gets the contract revoked. He turns to selling like Chitauri technology as arms weapon deal. Meanwhile, Spider-Man is like fresh off the Civil War battle he was just in. He's not part of the Avengers, so he kind of goes back to high school. He has a crush like all high school students do. He stumbles upon some of the Vulture's men like selling these arm deals gets a new suit from Tony Stark, which has a tracker in it. He removes the tracker so he can actually like take this on himself without asking for any help. He wants to be like big man on campus. That totally goes awry. Like people are in total danger. Tony Stark has to come save him. He gets the suit taken away from him. So he has to basically go back to his normal high school days, goes to homecoming, takes his crush Liz. Turns out Liz's father is the Vulture who figures out he is Spider-Man. Um, gets into kind of a huge fight with the Vulture at the end. Um, does end up beating him, but almost risks his life to do it. Uh, at the end, he is offered to join the Avengers. He says no and walks away from it. Uh, Vulture is taken into custody and Vulture is asked at the end, do you know who Peter Parker is? You were out of time, but I thought you'd wrap it up real quick. So and he I says no. I don't not know. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's pretty much the end when he says no. Yeah. Thanks, but no thanks, Tony Stark. Um, I'm going to count, count it because you yeah. said that part. And the and end is just kind of like the end credits with Vulture being like in jail, yeah. right? Yeah. And May knows. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, May knows. I'm going to count it. All right, hey, congratulations. Enjoy the horns. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, very good. That's great. Um, you did it. So let's uh, let's just get right to it. Uh, Maddie, you get your opening statements. Why do you like Spider-Man Homecoming? Yeah, so I'm defending Spider-Man Homecoming because I feel like this is a great example of a movie that was rebooted and actually added something. Like, it wasn't a pointless reboot. It wasn't like a studio. I mean, it was a little bit, right? There's money involved. But it wasn't so apparent that this is a studio just trying to reboot some sort of, like, shit they're selling as an actual movie. Um, It it took Spider-Man in a fresh take. It actually addressed some of the youth youthful energy that had been 100% missing from other Spider-Man reboots of the past. Vulture is a great Spider-Man villain. Second, I would say only to Killmonger, um, but otherwise he is the best. At the time, he was the best Marvel villain that they had produced. And I think, um, you know, the end message is really interesting and the hero's journey was a little bit subverted in this movie, which I really liked. Okay, cool. Um, so fresh takes. Yeah. So then, um, do we want to start with writing then? Since um, if we have a writer, we're just talking about the uh, just kind of the, the the themes of this movie. One being kind of like bringing youth flavor back into it and uh, coming kind of coming of agey and that energy. Does that, does that sound okay? Yeah. I, I guess mm. if we're gonna talk about writing, like you know where you usually start with that is like the structure of your movie 
And so the structure of this kind of follows that, you know, kind of familiar Hollywood formula of like, you know, you have like a hero who's like awesome, but they have some kind of flaw and they keep making this dumb mistake. And then they keep doing it until they get some kind of bad consequence. And, you know, they have to learn some humility from that. And then with their newfound wisdom, they're able to solve their problems in a way that they were not able to before. Um, and I think that as far as like playing to that goes, I think the movie's like messaging is really confusing on like what this movie is even about. I don't even really, I think the movie kind of tries to be about three things at once. Um, and it, like the, the sort of tragic flaw, not tragic flaw, but like the character flaw that Peter Parker is kind of grappling with the entire movie is that he is like, you know, he's, he's, he's too big for his britches and he's reckless and he keeps throwing himself into danger when he should just be humble and let like the grownups take care of it. But, you know, he gets his consequence. He loses the suit as a result of that. And then the end of the movie though, sees him doing the exact same thing again and he gets rewarded for it, which makes no sense to me from a writing perspective like he 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 ultimately like solves the problem by doing the exact same bad thing that he was doing the entire movie Mm -hmm. yeah um i think that from a writing standpoint this is a spider-man that has been rebooted by having most of the serial numbers filed off um (laughs) i feel like there's very little in this that speaks to me of peter parker's unique struggles a lot of what they added into the movie actually comes from like other Spider-Man stories like Miles' best friend and um, things like that. And I think that by making him into a high school sort of really likable everyman character, it takes away from me what a lot of the messaging in my mind should be about Spider-Man and Peter Parker. And to go to what Ian said, um, I think it, it muddies that hero's journey. I don't know what his purpose is. I don't know what his driving motivation is. I don't mean that we need to see the spider bite and the discovery and the origin story over again, but I feel that that origin story, or at least the motivation behind it is so integral to who Peter Parker is as a character that you need to have that at least echo through any story you tell with him. And so I feel that the, the writing really missed an opportunity to to tell a story that incorporated that whole, you know, great power, great responsibility, and and the things that Peter uniquely struggles with as a superhero, as opposed to um, a sort of what felt to me like a generic Marvel Cinematic Universe character, just younger. I disagree. I think that the message of with great power comes great responsibility uh, and that the end he gets rewarded, I disagree with that. I think that the reward for him at the beginning was joining the Avengers and that's what he really wanted to do. Like he thought he was ready for it. I guess maybe not even thought he was ready for it, but never paused to even think if he was ready to join the Avengers in the first place, right? He's like, I did the battle, I didn't die, I kicked some butt, you know, why can't I be part of the Avengers? (laughs) But being a superhero is about much more than you know, kicking ass and taking names. It's about like the hard decisions. It's about knowing when you've reached your limits. It's about knowing when to walk away. And even though, yes, he does, you know, he is too big for his britches. He gets a consequence of his, you know, his suit being taken away. But of course, like the bad guy is still there. And, you know, the situation changes, right? In that the bad guy realizes who he is, right? And the bad guy doesn't care. Vulture doesn't care. Oh, your suit got taken away right that. For all he knows, you know, he's Spider-Man. And he has to you know, deal with Vulture to the best of his abilities in this situation that like he's gotten himself in. And even though he does win at the end, he walks away from the Avengers. Like he is essentially offered the reward and he knows that he's not ready for it, that he still has a lot to learn. And so I don't think he does get his reward at the end. I think at the end he realizes, yeah, even though he does save the day, that that wasn't the real lesson to be learned. And I think it really echoed for me in some ways like Luke's journey in Star Wars where at the end of Return of the Jedi, like the end of New Hope, he defeats the Death Star. Yay, awesome. But that's not the end of his journey. That's not even close to like the limits of what it means to be a hero. The end of his journey is, you know, going to redeem Darth Vader, you know, against all odds, essentially, you know, not be playing that kind of hero role. And so I really liked versus like, I think in another Star Wars allegory, it's like, you know, Poe, you know, does all that kind of shit and then gets the reward at the end of basically being commander. I really liked in this one how 
you know, instead of Tony Stark being like, oh, yeah, kid, you did so great. I was wrong. You beat Vulture. Here's a seat in the Avengers. And him saying, you're right. I am ready. He was like, no, even though I beat the bad guy, I'm not ready to join the Avengers. So I think that, to me, echoes great, like, great power also means a great responsibility of knowing when you're not ready. I see you trying to get into Pepper's Good Books for all the Star Wars stuff. So don't think we don't <laughs> really notice that. Low. Don't think we don't <laughs> notice that. But so you're saying to, sorry, but to, so, like, how... How is, like, the... Do, so you feel like this movie still had the essence of Uncle Ben's statement for Peter and, like, that that piece of the Spider-Man lore throughout the course of the movie? Yeah, I think, um, you know, he needs to be able to demonstrate that, like, through the movie and in multiple different areas, right? Like, the lesson is so big and so meaningful to people. There's a reason we quote it all the time, right? Is because it really resonates, I think, with, like, a deepest core of being human, but you don't just show it by like avenging Uncle Ben, right? Or by like taking the mantle in the first place. Like I think the unique struggle of Spider-Man is that over and over and over again, he has to grapple with, you know, what he wants and what is like the right thing to do. And I still think that core was here and that what he wants is to like be a hero and join the Avengers. And it wasn't the same struggle I think other Spider-Mans have had where it's been like living a normal life versus, you know, being a hero. But he, he had much more that youthful energy of like, he wants to be a hero so bad, he's already gotten a taste of the action. And the real great responsibility was walking away from the Avengers at the end when he could have just taken it. Like Tony Stark thought he was ready, you know? I guess that's exactly what my problem is, is that Peter's motivation seems to be, I want to be a bigger hero than I am. And I, I don't see that as as the primary motivation for Spider-Man. And I don't see something else going on here. I don't know, other than I want to be a bigger hero and I want a cool suit, I don't know what, what he wants. I don't know what his motivation is. And I don't mean you need to keep quoting it. I don't mean you need to like, you know, be praying to like an image of Ben in the house or whatever. But I felt that it should have come up. I felt that there should have been some motivation here other than saving people's property. Um, there wasn't a lot of that, or really wasn't any of the sort of street level day-to-day type of stuff and I feel that I understand why you have to escalate stakes throughout a franchise and everything else but it just kind of rang hollow for me the stakes for everything were at once really high in terms of the intensity of the action and at another end it was like property antiquities or artifacts or whatever the plane like there wasn't any of that sort of human there was a couple moments but it was missing kind of that human motivation for me. Um, and so I felt like by making the stakes so high, like we're involving the Avengers, we're involving this suit, we're involving an airplane, um, it almost lowered the stakes for me because it, it kind of took away a lot of the street level Spider-Man flavoring um, to it. Yeah, so mm-hmm. what about the, um, cause I think that we get a little bit of a taste of that with how he interacts with his community. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of, the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man appeal right. is that he is a part of the community and he want whatever he does he tries to he still has that attachment and so we see a little mm-hmm. bit of it with the um, with the Italian uh, the Italian guy in his shop mm-hmm. and the fact that he gets hurt and then he saves him oh, and, Mr. Yeah. and yeah. his friends too at the Washington Monument. And all his friends about, at the Washington. What about Monument. that? What about that guy at the food truck? It's like, hey, are you Spider-Man? Oh yeah. <laughs> Do a flip. <laughs> 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 like, like most of the other elements in this film, it just felt kind of pasted on and cobbled together yeah. um, to me. I think like what I what I what I take from the Uncle Ben quote with great power comes great responsibility. Like what that means is like you have to make the right choice even when like it doesn't benefit you personally. And like that was the lesson that Peter learned. And I mean, I'm a really casual Spider-Man fan, so I really only kind of know the character through like you know cartoons and movies. Um, I guess I, like, follow the comic books on, like, Wikipedia or whatever. But, like, you know, what my understanding is that, like, that was the first lesson that Peter needed to learn was that he needed to, like, use this power in a non-self, in a non-selfish way and to make the hard decisions to stand up for what's right, even if it costs him personally. And to me, that's what really makes Spider-Man appealing to me as a character is, like, even though he's got, like, the, you know, quippy dialogue and, like, the really you know, sparkly personality is, like, he's a very human character in that he is always, like, kind of making himself suffer for being a hero. And, you know, what I really like about the Spider-Man, my favorite Spider-Man media is, like, seeing Peter really grapple with, like, the, you know, consequences 
you know, big and small of him choosing this life when he could just as easily not and mm-hmm. live a pretty awesome life with his superpowers. And, um, like, this movie just, like, really downplays all of that to a degree that I kind of was feeling like you're, like, kind of subverting the entire idea of what Spider-Man is. Like, there's multiple moments where, like, you know, he'll duck out on somebody or he'll duck out on his team. And then, you know, he's able to come back and be like, hey, sorry, I'm late. Sorry, I haven't come to the meetings in two weeks. Oh, that's okay. Get on the bus. We're going to, we're going to regionals right now. Um, hey, I dissed you at homecoming. Sorry about that. Yeah, you know, that really wasn't very nice. But you know what, Peter? I hope you figure out what's going... What's what's. I hope you figure out whatever's going on with you. It's like, no, like, yell at him. Like, make him feel bad. Like, let me feel the sacrifice that he has to make. And I just never do. It's all sense of consequences just kind of brushed away in this movie. I think this movie is a really fresh take on Spider-Man. I think that... It's the first Spider-Man where um, him being in high school is actually believable and dealing with high school level consequences. Like in the original Spider-Man, he's a high school student, but the movies have not shown that, right? Like they've casted very mature, much older actors. They've kind of tried to pass off Andrew Garfield as young and nerdy, not young and nerdy at all. Um, And so, you know, I agree that some elements of Spider-Man are this like you know, serious consequences to his life and how he's living it. But there is still another side of Spider-Man when it was first created that like Spider-Man is a high school student and we've never seen him deal with high school level like problems essentially. And, you know, that's another, I'm not saying that your take is um, not one that needs to be told, but it already has been told twice. And it was told really well in the original, like Spider-Man one and two, we're gonna forget about three, but the first one and two, like do a really good job talking about like the real consequences of like his relationship with MJ and, you know, and his relationship with his best friend and like Green Goblin and killing his dad. Like, like they're pretty weighty things, but I like that this movie took actual high school problems where like it is enough of a consequence where your crush like kind of doesn't want to deal with you anymore like you know she doesn't have to yell at him for there to be real consequences to her saying like I don't I can't really care about you anymore and I can't really interact with you I'm kind of over it you know like um you know there are high school consequences of the team being like you're unreliable and flaky you know and like kind of calling mountain not every consequence has to be like i killed my best friend's dad and now i'm like hiding this secret from him right so i think um you know i really liked the youthful take on it and how you know at the end i feel like other spider-mans the end has always been like dangling the girl as he saves her. It's MJ in, I think, all three movies she's kidnapped by the villain, and then it's Gwen Stacy in the next ones, which, like, you know, ends in her death. Um, And I like that in this one, at the end, it's just, like, him and Vulture, him coming, you know, to terms with, like, the consequences of, like, his actions that, like, you know, he is essentially the cause of why they are there in the first place, and it's kind of him and him alone, you know, facing Vulture, and he has to, like, fight his own fight versus fighting because you know also dr octopus has his girlfriend or also green goblin you know is dangling his girlfriend like that is like yeah of course you would go save you know him but like now he is here like risking his life it he could just stay out of the fight you know but like he doesn't and he chooses not to and maybe the the i that the great power great responsibility notion is being portrayed in a way for a high school student to interpret that because he is young like imagine having that given to you from like the death of someone who cared about you and now you have to like that means that i have to be the best i can be you know i have to be you know a, an avenger because that's the response of those are the, these are the responsible people in our universe these are the ones who they have all the power and right i yeah. want to and now i've had a taste of that i need i and i like more. that yeah they didn't like he is immature good he should be he's supposed to be like 16 or 17 you know <laughs> in the movie like his concept of like I felt like I was watching an actual 16 or 17 year old have actual Spider-Man powers versus in other interpretations of Spider-Man, they were always good and meaningful, but I wasn't watching a 16 to 17 year old boy grapple with the death of his uncle and having these powers. I was watching a full grown man grapple with the death of his uncle and having these powers. But I don't feel like I watched this person grapple with much of anything. Um, In my opinion, Mm. he wasn't grappling. 
the consequence of being told you're unreliable, oh, but still, like, get on the team, that doesn't seem like much to deal with to me. And I think that, that, that high school students are capable of dealing with a lot more um, in the comics, as a high school student, he dealt with a lot worse consequences. And for the majority of the comics, he hasn't been in high school. Um, and I don't know that I needed this particular story to be told again. Like, I don't, it does. It just doesn't feel that fresh to me because it doesn't feel personal to Peter or Spider-Man. And it feels like the parts that I haven't seen before, I've gotten in other media. Um, so I guess I guess I question why they needed to do it again if to me they weren't going to do something new with it but that's me yeah i think um as far as like the high school level consequences goes like that's a totally valid point and like you know because when you're a high schooler and you have like that really limited perspective like you know small things are going to feel big and i deal with this all the time in my job but like you know like detention can be a big deal to like certain students you know like not being able to you know, have like this small thing that we adults think is insignificant can be a really big deal. But it's like at the moments where like the movie kind of tries to present those like small little high school level obstacles, they don't feel impactful. Like he gets detention and then like he ends up walking out and like the teacher is like, no, stop, just totally apathetic and lets him leave. And, you know, like the principal, he gets called into his office, like he's worried about getting expelled. And the principal's just like, you know, Peter, you're, you're like a, you're a really good kid. Just keep your head straight. You know, I'll look the other way, even after you've like done all this terrible shit. And like, I mean, I'm, I'm watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer right now for like the very first time in my life. And I think that show does that whole, like, really micro consequences thing really well, where like, you know, they are like these kind of heroic people in high school and having to kind of contend with that double life and like you know sometimes those two will conflict and it's like you you feel palpably within the show like no i really don't want buffy to get detention like not because i think the detention itself is like a big deal but like it's it's getting in the way of her fulfilling all these other things that she wants to fulfill or like you know vampire she wants to slay in that given episode and like I think you can take a small a small consequence and make it feel big, but this movie just didn't do that. You know, there's also, you know, because I think we can kind of go back and forth on, like, Spider-Man forever, mm-hmm. um, but there are other elements of the movie that I thought were really fresh and unique for Marvel, particularly its villain and its villain's connection to the hero for kind of, like, the first time. Like, I thought Vulture was a villain who also had consequences for his action and was also kind of grappling with the same thing that Spider-Man does, which is kind of like, you know, great power and great responsibility, except for you kind of see what the result is if Spider-Man weren't to be a hero and instead were to like use it for, you know, justifiable reasons. Like Vulture is one of the first villains in the Marvel universe where like he it's understandable and it's kind of a villain that um, the Avengers have created, except for they did a way better job with Bill or uh, Vulture than they did with Zemo from Civil War. Um, (laughs) But that, you know, he's essentially created, you know, like that there are real consequences for the actions the Avengers have done, particularly with like the battle of New York. He has a family. He's like, well, if I'm going to get screwed over by the man, then I'll screw the man. Right. And he kind of doesn't really think farther than that, you know, other than becoming an arms dealer, which is something that, you know, we've seen other times in Marvel, um, like Tony Stark grapples with the fact that his company was essentially an arms dealer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see this really unique villain with kind of his own set set of rules where he is an arms dealer and he's doing it to support his family. And he clearly cares about his family in that he's like home for dinner and, you know, like taking his daughter to prom, you know, and like doing this for money and all that. Um, you know, he's still a bad guy completely, especially since he went to like essentially kill a high school kid. Um, but it's really unique that at the end when he's asked to out Peter Parker, he doesn't because he's kind of like, yeah, I mean, he spared my life and, you know, like saved that, my daughter's life, saved my daughter's life, you know, and that fight is kind of done. Like it's I think it's really unique and rare to see Marvel have a villain that um, actually has any sort of depth other than just being totally evil you know and out there it was really cool to see him you know have these kind of um unique quirks about him and also just a really well played part of the movie where you know him showing up to liz's house is arguably one of the scariest moments in marvel and he's not even the vulture in his costume so i think having 
that character as kind of a foil to Peter and to kind of show like this opposite, like, you know, side of the coin was really Mm -hmm. cool. And just a really great moment of acting where you're more scared of Michael Keaton than you are of the super villain that he's playing. Yeah. That scene is, that scene is legitimately great. I would say it's like, it's the only like legitimately great scene in the movie. And I think, you know, before Vulture, there wasn't, I think I'm so impressed because in reading the original comics when I was little, Vulture is a really terrible villain. He is like an old guy who (laughs) is a vulture and robs banks. That is his story. There's nothing else. And so to take, versus I've seen other Marvel villains been kind of like, eh, like watered down from the original Mm -hmm. content, which always kind of pisses me off. You see them take this pretty bad original content, make it really great. And before that, there wasn't a villain where you could kind of see where he was coming from until Killmonger, which I think does, you know, he um, is better than Vulture in, you know, some ways in, in what he says about society and culture. But yeah, before before Killmonger, it was Vulture, and that's kind of all we had. I don't know how you roasters feel, but doesn't it kind of seem like if Tony Stark gave, like, even half a shit, he could have taken care of Vulture very quickly? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the it, problems. It, with, you know, I think that's, that's, a, that's a general critique for me of yeah. the cinematic universe yeah. in the sense that I love that they are trying to weave all this stuff together, but there's so much that happens in the various corners of the universe uh-huh. that you're like, so where is everybody when, like, Harlem is going to shit? You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> like, and, and there's there could be an argument to, like, you know, let Luke Cage deal with that or whatever it is, yeah. but there's, there's a lot yeah. of that kind of thing going on. That's what sucks about, um, like, yeah, making a bigger... World. Yeah, yeah, world. Because like sometimes it makes sense. Like Black Panther, totally makes sense, right? They're not going to go to the Avengers. It's not their world. Yeah. Iron yeah. Man but, three when the president's kidnapped. Where's Captain right, America? You're kind of confused. <laughs> and and I think that um, but you're right, Quasi, in that in that it makes it even kind of worse that that Tony Stark figures so large in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. and and then he's like not gonna kind of step in. Um, when you know he keeps telling Peter that the lesson he needs to learn is that he's not ready for the big time. Um, and like, obviously Peter is able to, in a way, prove him wrong, but then I think give kind of lip service to the idea that, no, I'm not ready yet. That's why I think it's a muddy type of message, um, Mm -hmm. that he, Peter's, it's kind of like the reboot Star Trek films, um, where constantly have external forces tell Peter or Kirk that you're not ready for this. You're too reckless. You dive into trouble. And every time they save the day by being reckless and diving into trouble. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe at the end someone will say something like, golly, I shouldn't be so reckless, you know? <laughs> but in the world of the movie, it really hasn't had uh, grave consequences for them. And I don't mean it needs to, but if you're going to set up those types of stakes um, and then not follow through on it, I guess, I guess I'm left wondering what it all means. I, I mean, I, I take your point about Vulture, I think, which is very, very interesting. Um, I wish it didn't come at the expense of Liz's autonomy um, in the sense that she kind of becomes a prop in the fight between... Now, thankfully, she doesn't come up, become like a dangling off a bridge prop physically, um, but I do think it's unfortunate that they weave like Liz and her dad into the narrative and then completely leave her out of all of the parts that have to do with, you know, well, now it's the man's fight, you know, because yeah. it's between mm-hmm. Peter and, mm-hmm. and uh, the mm-hmm. vulture. Yeah. Yeah. I rambled a little bit there, so I apologize. No, you and, know, I, that's a good and point. I totally get, um, yeah, and, and to address like Tony Stark, like I totally agree. Like I think, you know, it's weird that after Civil War, where he's, like, spending the most time grappling with, like, the consequences of his actions, that he literally sees, like, Chitari tech be used to yeah. kill people. And he has a very tangible, like, connection to that as, like, he literally found out his own weapons were being used to kill people when he was mm-hmm. kidnapped in Iron Man 1. And it's just kind of, like, whatever. So I totally agree with that. Um, and, and Liz, too, I think that is for me, very much a Marvel problem that over the last, you know, couple films, like, you know, I think Marvel has not handled its women at all very well, other than like, again, Black Panther, you know, but there's really no great examples of how women are treated. You know, at best, they are a side character. You know, you could say Black Widow, but like, she is at best, you know, and even she has been marginalized a couple they times over. Ruin that in Ultron anyway. Yeah, so. right. And that's what I'm, yeah, it's like, so even at best, um, 
and so yeah so for yeah for me I think all the Marvel has been a little rough and um I think Kevin Feige has been such a big crybaby about Wonder Woman and he's had a lot of quotes lately that have been like when Wonder Woman came out he was like I wish we had been first, which like that's mm-hmm. that's on you. That's and then, yeah, then yeah. when the movie, Captain yeah. America started coming out, he's done some quotes that are like, "Well, we wanted to do one earlier, but the like idea in the film industry has been like women movie, like women led superhero movies don't sell." Whereas I always knew it was just the movie had to be good. I'm like, "You're in charge of making the fucking movies, right?" Yeah. Like it's a yeah. weird thing for him to say, "Who he who has the power to right. shape the entire Marvel universe?" So I totally agree there. Um, it's not great in Homecoming, but I would argue it's not great and it's just more of the same problem that mm-hmm. Marvel's been having. Yeah, it's. I think it's especially unfortunate in Homecoming because they have such great material to work with. Um, there are great women in the Spider-Man canon. Um, and there are, you know, and even in, you know, the first um, Amazing Spider-Man movie, at least Gwen Stacy gets to kind of have some autonomy. She yeah. she actually takes action mm-hmm. in order to to um, against Peter's wishes in order to or protective overprotective instincts, right? And in this movie, like you know, Liz is a romantic object. Um, Michelle, who <laughs> may or may not be MJ, it's M- she's still MJ. In, yeah, she is MJ. Except the the studio has after has gone back on that and said, well, maybe she's not. Yeah. So they're yeah. <laughs> more so they're trying to, they're trying to have it both ways, right? Yeah. Um, which with that whole gotcha incident where it's just like, oh no, it's MJ. Like, oh my god, like that's amazing. <laughs> um, you have like the only women woman who has any sort of lines in the film is the suit. Um, Karen. Karen, which yes. makes a joke about killing people, which is super fun. Um, and then you have Aunt May, whose primary character trait appears to be that she's not a walking corpse so like hot the yeah Yeah. that is all anyone comments about in the film like her primary problem seems to be she's hot and people keep talking about it her problem doesn't seem to be money because apparently backpacks come out of like you know she doesn't seem that upset about the backpack there's there's an endless supply of like school supplies for peter (laughs) um so so i think that goes back to sort of the lack of consequences and stuff but but what are the women in this film doing um and and that that does bother me and and yeah it's a film about like spider man not spider girl or spider woman or any other spider female people uh but it's unfortunate they have all these great women that they could be working with and um none of them managed to do anything yeah and you know like that's definitely a point on gwen stacy to be fair it wasn't a marvel property at the time um because yeah i am kind of looking at the most recent thing like you know that was my thing with infinity war was like they really had some great women in Infinity War and kind of sliced and diced their way through character mm-hmm. stories and, you know, in some ways, people too. So, um, yeah. yeah. Mostly the p- slicing people was the way that they <laughs> Yeah, that. right. It was definitely like, oh, Infinity War was a rough movie for women. So I kind of, you know, I agree. Like, I'm always kind of reminded, like, in the Marvel movies of late, like, they still haven't figured it out. Mm-hmm. At all, like one director figured it out. That's yeah, really crazy. The they killed. They killed like one of the the best characters in Infinity War, Gamora. She's gone to now. give a man emotion. Oh, she wants yeah. to kill she'll more people. I hope yeah. so. She'll be Sorry, back. people oh, who have not seen Infinity War. Yeah, right. Yeah. I don't need yeah. to I mean, we have been wanting to do an Infinity War one, yeah. so we'll just commandeer this. Do it next spring when the next one comes out. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, we're about to the time where it's time to unmask. <laughs> yeah, actually. unmask. So um, it's a Spider-Man movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's reveal our secret identities. Yes. Um, so yeah, starting with uh, with Maddie, how do you really feel? I feel like I played it like pretty straight and true to how I felt. Um, we I guess we didn't really. I didn't really stick to my guns at the end with the women. So it's so hard for me. I'm like, yes, you're totally right. Um, yeah, I, mean, it's I hard. want more women in all my movies. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. Even but that's my so problematic true. favorites. <laughs> yeah. Of um, I'm like, oh, I got. It's always the hardest part of defending. But yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I think I heard some really good points here. I think as a movie, I really enjoyed it. I remember watching it and being like, yeah, that was I. Uh, really liked it. I loved Vulture. Like, really could just couldn't get enough of kind of his character and design. Um, and yeah, I think it, you know, illustrated for me some points of Spider-Man that I feel like had been a little lost in the movies. Like, I feel like the comics and all the iterations of the comics have done a great job of showing all different aspects of Spider-Man. But I felt, 
as much as I did like the first first and second Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, it got so dark and it got mm-hmm. so a kind of emotional that I felt like it was missing a little bit of like Spider-Man's like, yeah, he does grapple mm-hmm. with some serious problems, but he also is kind of a sarcastic, yeah. Yeah. like quippy yeah, so superhero yeah. who like, who part of him putting on the suit is to escape the day-to-day person he is. And like, he is grappling with some big problems as a result of being Spider-Man, but he also escapes problems by being Spider-Man. He becomes this person who like quips at the bad guys and like, you know, it's a little bit of an escapism for him Mm -hmm. as well. So I feel like this is the first movie I saw the Spider-Man suit not be such a fucking weight, but be both a weight and like a sense of like, I'm fucking Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. I'm like tying up bad guys, right? Like I'm quipping at them. I'm like, yeah. you know, like ruling the city, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked it. Definitely. Ian? Um, it's a fun movie, but it's like a cotton candy kind of fun. It's like, it's, it's in your mouth and it tastes really sweet and then like it dissolves and it's gone and like, you know, ultimately like it doesn't actually like taste that good after it's dissolved. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, I, th- I think that, like, there's a lot of surface stuff in this movie that's really fun. Like, I love the characters. Like, I love... Um, I-, I-, I like there are certain ways in which, like, they kind of changed up the formula that I find really refreshing. Like, you know, Flash... I like that Flash Thompson, for example, is, like, a, a science geek, and he's, like, on their... Mm-hmm. He's, like, on their science team. Yeah. And I thought that, like, that was... That was... In just, like, having such a diverse cast and, like, depicting queens as it, you know, probably really looks like or close to what it really looks like like that stuff is really refreshing i just think that like as far as like the emotional impact of the movie it's like all like you know you have like the surface level appearance of like oh he's like watching this through the window and he feels sad but then like it moves on like after that scene and you just don't feel that anymore at all and it's like we're back to hijinks he's bouncing yeah. through the streets and getting into trouble and he's like bumping into things and then like it's like a common criticism of the Marvel movies is that they're too jokey, and I think that's kind of like a thing you really have to go movie by movie. Sometimes it fits, yeah. sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. This one is too jokey, where I think they should have dialed that back down a little bit and really just kind of tried to make a more cohesive drama out of it. Yeah, Not that it needed to be a drama, but there needed to be more. Hmm. Pepper? Yeah, um, I saw this movie twice in the movie theater. I really enjoyed it. Um, I had a really good time. And then I promptly didn't think about it until I was asked to do this podcast. <laughs> um, and the more I thought about it to do the podcast, the angrier I got. Whoa. So I actually dislike this movie way more than before I recorded this podcast. Um, so in thinking about it, in being forced to think about it, I actually found more and more not to my liking. Hmm. Not because sure. it was not fun. Not because I don't actually like the movie. I like the movie. It's really fun. But the more I thought about it, the more I felt, no, this isn't what I want from this property. Like, right. I didn't... I'm, I'm happy to watch this movie with different names on it, maybe. Um, but this is not what I want from, from Spider-Man. Wow. That's fair. That's Second day. fair. Well, and that's what we're here for, to make yeah. all yep. of you think about the movies you liked and remember and just, that you actually hate them. And then just like <laughs> feel, feel that bottom sadness come yeah. in when you recognize, <laughs> oh, man. God, this sucked. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't like this. Oh, question everything. Quasi. Um, uh, yeah, this was, this was eye candy. I think I, I, so I love, I love Spider-Man. Um, I love, I think for me, Spider-Man 2 is top three best superhero movies ever made. So I'm up there with that. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, so I think that this one, it made me care more about Peter, especially for Infinity War. And I think that was kind of one of the bigger purposes of this movie was to be like, hey, this is a character that's in, he's important. It's like the building the relationship between Tony and him and then Infinity War. So I think that was really, I think it was good. And then especially because his, his relationship with Tony is awesome. I love that, um, that back and forth between the two of them. Um, but yeah, you know, so like for me, I, I, I liked it. It was fun to watch. It was fun to just be at the, at the theater and enjoy it. And then, you know, have, have another entry in the Marvel universe that can, that, you know, stacks up and it's, it's still comparable. It's not the best, but it's up there. Um, and Donald Glover. Yeah. 
Miss Sunlight Not playing Spider Man. Yeah. Not playing Spider Man, but he's in it. That was, yeah. That's he's all I cared about. He's Miles's <laughs> uncle or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's all I cared about was that he was in it. And he was great. You gotta get better at this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to. At this part of this. I'm trying to rob a guy. I'm not trying to punch him back in time. <laughs> he was great. Um. Yeah, I uh, I really liked it in theaters. Um, and the, but the more I thought about it, um, I think the third act slaps. Uh, I think it's so good. I think the really? third act break is so good, and really? everything once we lead into the homecoming drama and like everything after that point, yeah, is great. The Michael Keaton dinner scene is really good. Yeah, for sure. I, the scene, and even the scene in the car. Yeah, and after Which, and then let's yeah. just acknowledge that I think that's really great in that. I think the scariest he is in Batman is mm. when he's not playing yeah, Batman. That sure. scene in yeah. Vicky's apartment, yeah. it kind of mirrors that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Good job. But then even like even through to when like the they brings the building down on Peter and Peter has the whole like trapped under concrete. Yeah. And, that like, was rough to watch. Yeah, yeah. I, like I think the whole the third act is is great, but I think that the movie does meander its way there and like kind of trips over its own feet, trying to like. Refamiliarize us with Spider-Man, <laughs> where they're just like, "Look, he's in high school now." Have you heard of this guy? Isn't this what you wanted? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, but but like at the same time, like it does do a good job of building out like this new young Spider-Man world that we aren't like. It's yeah. all new, like it's all new people, even like. Even getting, I mean, and this is stupid, but, like, getting used to not a white-haired Aunt May mm. is a thing we apparently I don't need, need that much help with that. No, I know. I don't either. But everyone is just, like, the, inter- the internet needs help with it, I guess. <laughs> She's not ancient? I also just... What kind of aunt is that? I really want more J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. I just yeah, need that maybe. more in this world. That was um best part. I would love if they brought him back. Oh, yeah. God, we would be so yeah. great. I think there's a reason they never tried to recast that character. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's perfect. Yeah. yeah. There's no one else who can do yeah. it. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, so, I don't know. I still, like, I still like it. I still think it's it's fun. And I think it's okay that it's fun. Yeah. It's okay to have fun. Yeah, <laughs> Ian. Ian. I, I just, I just, I, it's like I just wish it were better. Mm-hmm. Like Spider Man is a great property, and like I just, I just want this really great property. You didn't like Henry well, Burris, where he's like, I'm pretty sure this guy's like a war criminal. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I have was, to show that, you that, this. It was it's funny. By the state. It was, yeah. it was funny. Like I definitely laughed. I just like you know, once the laughs were gone, yeah. it was hollow. Mm-hmm. At least it was like laughs and because like I totally agree like Marvel gets real quippy and that's yeah, every time yeah. I walk on a movie I'm like too quippy. Yeah. Um, but at least it was quippy for a quippy character. Yeah, yeah. Versus like some of the yeah. other iterations when they're just like Zemo just, making jokes. Yeah, where everyone's just like like everyone like worked on <laughs> that punchlines before they like deliver Does any he make dialogue. Any jokes, he makes really. no and jokes. Like, makes yeah, no, he's quippy, like yeah. you know like genocidal robot making jokes. I think there that, that, that was probably go. like the yeah. bottom. Ultron's not supposed to. Yeah, make jokes. or in, yeah. I mean Infinity War really, oh, no. where like they put all the like Doctor Strange, Tony Stark, and Star Lord, and they're just like now watch these like white men chat at each Wait, other. Wait, hang on. Like, oh my gosh, the worst. Yeah. We're gonna get to that in the post show because Ultron is part of Tony Stark, so I I disagree with that. Okay, we'll debate that. We'll get there. Um. <laughs> so at least like this Spider-Man like quipped right. when he's supposed to quip versus like yeah. I love the first and second one but like there's a lot of crying in Tobey Maguire's oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a lot of crying yeah let's not talk about yeah. Tony let's not do it that's it yeah. Um, but, but yeah that's that's, that's, where, that's where we're at and that's, that's it everybody um, so let me think what uh, we're, yeah we're gonna move we're gonna go on and record the post show everybody the extended play thank you Patreon um, yeah which uh, will only be for our Patreon supporters so if you want to listen to that we're gonna probably talk more give about us Spider-Man money maybe Marvel movies yeah we could we could talk about anything um, you can head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash 24 flames pod and get in on that action and more action too um, let me think. We're doing a drink along soon, right? That's already happened. Oh, it's already people happened. Are do it again. We'll yeah, do another another one. <laughs> if you want to watch our, uh, technically our October drink along, it's up on our Patreon now. Uh, we watched Tucker and Dale vs. Evil uh, with some, some special guests that are great friends of ours that were in town only for that weekend. Um, Maddie raised her hand. 
Yes, I have something to plug. Go ahead. That is not 24 Flames. Um, but if you are coming to GeekroCon to see us on the uh, podcast panel, mm-hmm. I have two other panels slash workshops that I'm on. So if you're already there, you should come check it out, especially if you're interested in politics because it's political activism and geekiness. So I'm doing Mm. a panel on Saturday called One Geek to Rule Them All, How to Run for Office and Win. So encouraging female geeks to run for office. It's going to be really cool. The commissioner for public lands is going to be on the panel, which I'm really excited about. So I'll be moderating that. And then my friend and I are hosting a workshop called Use Your Voice Ray. And it's all about why geeks should be politically active and how you can um, use your voice in, yeah. um, in political settings. So if you're interested in that, that is Saturday night, I believe, at 6 p.m. Um, so yeah, so if you are a geek and you want to be a superhero yourself, especially <laughs> politically, come check it out. That's great. That's that's awesome. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, does anybody else? Before? I got some. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Pepper raising Everybody. Hand first, Dean. Uh, I have a totally different sort of plug. Um, if you are interested in the film history of Sherlock Holmes, um, I am uh, presenting a three-part class on that in February, but tickets are available at the sif.net website mm. right now. Cool. Yep. Got Ian? And on my end, uh, so I've uh, started a YouTube channel and I'm joining in on the video essay game. Um, cool. I am posting a lot of Kingdom Hearts related stuff, or I'm scripting a lot of Kingdom Hearts related stuff in preparation <laughs> for the new game that's coming out. Um, I'm currently working on a video exploring the link between Kingdom Hearts and Zen Buddhism. So if that sounds interesting to you, you can check out my YouTube channel. It's uh, called Story Border. Story, space, border, like border calling. Oh, okay. That's kind of the deal. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this, my little avatar is a, it's a MS Paint border collie with glasses. <laughs> so look for that. And yeah, that's cool. what I've been up to. Sweet. Um, great. Kwesi, while you're here... Do you have anything? Patreon. (laughs) Spend, give us money. I really want to see that Zack Snyder thing happen. Oh my god. Yeah, Uncle Many at Moneybags, give us all your money. (laughs) Um, So, uh, but but yeah, other than that, um, if you have thoughts about Spider-Man Homecoming or any of this stuff, if you want details on any of these things people have plugged, email us at 24bladespot at gmail.com and we'll make sure you get that information. And other than that, you can find us on social media at 24flamespod. Uh, wherever you get your podcast, please go and subscribe, rate, and review so that more people can find the show and so that we can get feedback to make the show better. And on top of that, I don't have anything else. Uh, oh, you can check out Party Fish Media, our network at Party Fish Media on Facebook and Instagram. And I believe that's it, uh, everybody. So thank you for listening. Thank you all for being here and Queasy for hosting. And next week we start our second annual Halloween month so um, if I remember right the first episode is Labyrinth uh, coming out next week so everybody come back and we'll uh, start our spooky times then so yeah have a great week everybody we'll catch you later bye bye Fish media. Yeah.